You're listening to the Duplication Nation MLM podcast. Leaders live here. Hey guys, welcome back. Randy Gage here, and this is another edition of Chopping It Up with dot, dot, dot. And this particular episode is Chopping It Up with Flockle, also known <laughs> as Eric Gamio, who is one of the brilliant visionary people in our profession. For those who are new to the channel, it's not an interview. It's Eric and I having the conversation, and you get to eavesdrop in on it. Um, I don't interview him. He doesn't interview me. We're just talking about this, what's going on in the space of leverage sales, network marketing, personal development, daily routines, success tips, maybe books that are amazing us or uh program seminars we're doing whatever so that's it my friend flaco welcome to the show <laughs> thank you randy i'm so excited because i i love this kind of conversations you know that uh are not scripted you don't know what i'm gonna say i don't know where you're gonna what you're gonna say we, which topics we're gonna uh embark on and uh i hope we're not, we don't get so controversial, controversial that we have to edit this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can guarantee you that won't happen because however controversial we'll get, I'm not editing it. So <laughs> they, will, they will live with what they live with. You know, they will, they don't like it. They just click the off button. It's that simple. Great art divides people and we created art, man. So <laughs> if somebody doesn't hate what we're saying, we're not doing our job. So speaking of art and entrepreneurs as art, um, what's your thought of the state of the profession right now? What, what do you, how's your vibe? How do you feel about what's happening in this space right now? I think it's like, everything is cyclical, you know? It's, it, it like it keeps ha 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 happening. All over again. I've been in the profession for 17 years. You've been in the profession for like a hundred since the Wild West with Avon. I don't know. <laughs> but um, what I've seen in the past, I don't know, 17 years is that we have every five years a new thing, you know. And I remember it was the travel cards and and, and those kind of things in the 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10. Okay. We did there was there that that was the distraction. Nothing wrong with tourism is doing tourism with network marketing. Okay, all those companies died. Then again, three, four years later, in 2012, 13, it was the advertising in the internet. All these sick rewards and all these, ah, blah, 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 blah. you know, they went away. Now it's blockchain, you know? Um, it's crypto with network marketing. Again, two things like water and oil, trying to mix together. I don't have anything against water or I guess oil, but they don't go together. So I'm just, today, yeah, today, I was rescuing a 50 to almost 80 people from a company that just a couple of months ago, actually, we talked about this because you have a you have an ex-friend and uh, that was pushing that company. And I'm rescuing those guys in Ecuador, in Argentina, you know, 
So again, one of those things, those implosions, you know? It's, you know, as you know, Jaime Lokier and I have started a site called duplicationnation.com. And then we're doing a newsletter, a, a actual monthly newsletter called MLM Confidential. And a big impetus for that is these distractions that come around like you say, they're just cycles. And it, so, you know, because people say, like, literally today, I mean, literally yesterday, you will never believe this. I'm on the phone with a client who wants to open a direct selling company. So he's hiring me to help him with the project. So he's taking me through and he, he, he puts me through 87 slides and I keep saying, okay, I got it. I got it. Tell me what's the business plan. Tell me, you know, how does the business plan? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Let me show you. I've got this. And he kept showing me slides of this. I'm going to say product that he wants to sell, but it's not really, <laughs> it's not really a product. An excuse. I'm like, excuse. Dude, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, dude, you gotta get, no, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So uh, he goes to 87 slides and he says, okay, that's phase one. Now let me explain phase two. And I said, time out. This was not fucking phase one. There was no phase, <laughs> nothing. You just showed me 87 slides and I kept uh, of what you have in your warehouse that you want to sell, that you're calling a product, com you know, compatible for direct selling, but that's not a business plan. So it, you can't say that was phase one, okay? I'm just putting that out there. So a little later in the conversation, he says, we could be the next Zeke Rewards. We could have 700,000 people in six months with this thing. I'm like, did you really just say to me <laughs> that you want to benchmark a pyramid scheme? that collapsed is that really what i just heard <laughs> and he with said well, you know, we to do it like they did it you know they did it the illegal way we can do it the legal way but we could be the next seek rewards we could have 700,000 people in six months and i just you know it's like because he says all right i like this I want to sell this. There's no law that says I can't make a profit when I sell this. And I'm, of, of course, I'm being very obscure because I, you know, I have confidentially people have to know when they hire me and they talk to me that I'll keep their business private and, you know, give them their the best advice. And I'm not going to put them in legal jeopardy or give their stuff to competitors. So I don't want to say his name or his product line, but it's, it's he's got a, a a proposition that wouldn't work legally because and that's what he said well there's no law that says i can't make money on this and what i have to explain to him that you had to do probably yesterday as you were talking to that group and i have to do with jaime in this newsletter as we're you know trying to inoculate people against these scams is explain like we have what we call buyers clubs here in the US. One is called Sam's Wholesale Club. Costco is another one. So you pay a membership and now you're a member and you can buy products at wholesale. Perfectly legal. Absolutely no problem. If you want to start a, a buyer's club, you can do that. 
But yeah. when you take a buyer's club and you attach a multi-level compensation plan to it, you've now crossed the line and you're an illegal pyramid exactly. because the regulators are going to say, this is a closed buying structure. People who are not qualified for a commission check can't buy it. Yeah. So the last person who joins the club would have no opportunity to make profit because it only is sold to people in the club. Exactly. That's what they don't get. So, and the other issue, like, so, I mean, we've had the travel scams because again, there's nothing wrong with selling travel. Wonderful. But they weren't really selling travel. They were selling websites that sold travel, a very yeah. expensive overpriced website. And you made your money by selling the website. In essence, it's a camouflage headhunter fee. Same thing when the people were selling you $20,000 worth of fiber cookies or $20,000 worth of water filters. It was just a way to camouflage the headhunter fee. And then the third thing that nobody thinks about is, okay, because, and this is where he was going to get into trouble, is the area of securities and investment advice and financial planning because he was showing how they would buy this product for a certain amount and then they would uh the value would you know the 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 value of the investment would go up and i'm like your people are not licensed investment advisors and that's, <laughs> where, that's where the regulators are going to come in and they're going to say and this is the problem with all these MLM shit coins. You know, they are yeah. they're selling securities. They're selling investments. They're selling, you know, like there's people who sell insurance in our business. But you know what? The people who do, those people have to go get licensed as insurance brokers, exactly. right? And the problem with these MLM, you know, you were being very generous when you said blockchain, Okay. There's no fucking blockchain with those companies. Okay, none. There is none. In other words, when you have a blockchain, you have this, this visible public code that people can see makes that blockchain secure. You publish a white paper. Well, what somebody found out is that they could create fake white papers and sell them on elance for fifty dollars <laughs> and so now every clown who wants to start an mlm crypto goes to elance and you know buys pays fifty dollars and says this is our white paper this is the blockchain we've created our own token and we're only printing two trillion of them they're all worth five hundred dollars right now we could tell you already by next year they're going to be worth a thousand dollars two years after that they're going to be worth 50 million dollars each all you know and does the average person know anything about a blockchain could even me right i wrote in 2012 i wrote risky is the new safe and i was talking about cryptocurrencies when no one was talking about it and people thought i was crazy I'm pretty knowledgeable about, I'm not, you know, I don't make any pretense. I'm a high school dropout. I'm not an engineer. My gift is I look at 
how technology is applied for the lay person. What's the market viability? How can, you know, what is the, the actual potential of this market? How would you explain it in website copy or a video or a one-on-one -on -one conversation, right? And so I love the idea of blockchain. And, but if you brought me the blockchain for Bitcoin and you brought me the blockchain for a fake shit coin like Zifa, Zifra or OneCoin or Omega Pro, I couldn't tell you which was which. And the truth is 99% of the engineers in the world can't tell you what's worth. If which one was which. One could actually be a legitimate blockchain, and the other one is actually the coding for a, you know, a porno video on OnlyFans. And even the average engineer wouldn't know the difference. So you get all these MLMers who have no idea of tech, and they go to the website and they say, you know, it's like back in the day, you know, with the you used to always, you know, every pyramid say, I've actually talked to my lawyer and he tells me it's legal. Right. That's <laughs> in the 70s and 80s. That's what you heard. Well, yeah. There's no legitimate company in the world that ever has to say we're legitimate. <laughs> right? Exactly. That's a red flag right there. Right. You know, if. If somebody comes up to you and says, I'm not a prostitute, I'm exactly I'm just looking for a date with somebody who's generous. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Says, I'm not a criminal. I'm not a MLM crypto scam. I'm not a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> There's uh, and, and it, yeah. And the company and all, and all these companies are like based on the Caribbean, you know, or something where they cannot be even found. Well, now, really, the haven is Dubai. That's anything, yeah. anything goes in Dubai. So they're all moving to Dubai. And it's, and it's perfect for them. Because I mean, if it was in, I don't know, in Turks and Caicos, you don't have the lifestyle there. But Dubai, you can show your watch, your Ferrari, which is, which is, which all these companies, do you know i loved once in a training you did that you you kind of created this story about how 99 of of the companies are built in their profession it's two guys they meet in the bar you know and one goes hey this network marketing thing this model is amazing yeah i have some money connections we should be we should uh build one okay what should we sell and that's what's killing our profession, you know, because they don't care about the company. That's why you had 87 slides with this guy. And he said, I can't make money out of it. He didn't say, I can help people with their finances. We can help people get out, you know, of corporate America. You know, we take your life. No, it's, I can make money and it's legal. You cannot touch me. And the people... What people, ah, that they, they have to join. Okay. But by me, my house, my yacht. So that's, I think, what really bugs me when people are just creating companies. I, I'm, an, I'm a capitalist anarchist. Okay. I think that's the best way to put 
me in a frame, a, a capitalist anarchist. So I like making money. I just don't like thinking about that all the time. I like to, to think about who's going to benefit with my ambition. I think it was Adam Smith, that guy, you know, very cool guy, know about economics a little bit. <laughs> he said that the pers personal ambition serves the common interest of the people. And I love that because exactly. And that's why this model is so perfect. If I, if you make money, I make money. But then you have these guys that come in and just do stupid shit. There is a book I have somewhere over there that everyone should read. It's titled How Adam Smith Changed My Life. And it's fat. I was actually turned on to it by Bob Burke. And uh, it's really very insightful. I really recommend that to everyone. But yeah, people don't, they, they and you know, and, and there are a certain amount, there's a certain percentage of people, like I read this, I read this story once, uh, this study I was reading, they did a psychological study where they put like a gopher on the road to, and then they tracked what happened when cars come and they see the gopher in front of the car. And they found that 11% of the people swerved to try and run over the gopher. 11%. Now, I don't know if it's how accurate it was, but that was a study. And what I, what I can tell you is there those 11% of people like to join network marketing scams. <laughs> those, those are the people that love the, the, you know, whether it was the travel website, the blue laundry ball, the airplane game, now the MLM crypto scams. They don't think about, the, it's just like, hey, how, you know, like OneCoin. I mean, they were, I'm, I'm trying to think of the number. We actually had it in the first issue of MLM Confidential. How much money the crypto queen's brother was making. He was one of the co-founders with her. So I, it was like $20 million a month or some. I, and I think that was it. But, you know, somebody can put in the comments, correct me if I'm wrong. But it was a, an outrageous number like that. And you say $20 million a month. Well, but he's in prison right now and he's waiting for sentencing. And the guideline says he's going to be in prison for the next 60 years if it comes down the way the guidelines are set up. So I ask myself, would I trade X number of months making $20 million a month to get, and then I'd have to serve 60 years in prison? <laughs> And the answer is no, I wouldn't do it for $50 million a month. I wouldn't do it for $100 million a month. I wouldn't even do it for $20 billion a month. But I don't know, everybody thinks they're going to outsmart the game. Exactly. Well, I just I just saw the, the Bernie Madoff documentary on, uh, on Netflix. I haven't seen it yet, so don't. And our Jonah well, told me I have to watch it. So yeah, it, it, it's yeah, it's good. It's good. I mean, I actually skipped one 
one episode, the, 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 you know, not the last one, but before the one before, because I, I mean, it was two. And when this happened, it's okay, okay, okay. Because we all know the story, you know? I didn't know how he ended up or his family, how he, his family ended up. I didn't know about that. But I mean, it's a, the biggest pyramid. I mean, I think Charles Ponzi would be proud. You know, that's my boy. That's my boy, you know? Um, they just don't think about the outcome. The outcome. They're, they're like, like monks. They're just in the present. <laughs> <laughs> they think it's gonna go forever. This is a 70-year-old guy who has been doing this in the since the late 70s. They just think with all that power that what I don't know what the, the English word for megalomano is me, megalomaniac, you know. Megalomaniacal. Exactly. So they don't think they're gonna get caught. They don't think about the out outcome. They're like right here, right now, you know, and they feel invincible until they don't and i think maybe in some way they want to get caught you know there are people that self-sabotage thing and they do want to get caught and the other yeah. thing why i bring up that 11 who want to go and run over the animal is there are just some you know because there are people that i've talked to and i said let me can i explain to you why this is a, a, an illegal pyramid and they say no you don't have to explain i know it's an illegal pyramid But I'm just saying, let's get the money yeah. while we can. I mean, it's going to have a six-year run or six-month run, and we we might make you know three hundred fifty thousand or two million dollars, and then it'll collapse, and we'll look for the next thing. And that's their that's their philosophy. But, and and I think it's even deeper. You know, I have friends. You know, I know people that go into these things knowing people are going to get hurt. But they're like, because we got in the conversation and they're like, I've been eating shit my whole life. I've been hurt. So if somebody has to go on top, somebody else has to get hurt. It's a win-lose world. And I want to win now. It's my turn. So somebody's going to lose. Well, that's the world. I'm going to get into this and I'm going to make as much money as I can. That's their philosophy there was an amazing twilight zone episode where they knock on the door of this family and they bring this black box in and they say to the guy okay here's the deal if you push the button on this box you will get one million dollars i think was the amount and this is this is like probably in the 70s a million dollars it's like a billion now yeah You will get a million dollars and then somebody on the other side of the earth that you don't know will die. And so he tortures himself about it and he sells himself the story and he pushes the button. He gets the million dollars. And the, you know, the, the payoff of the episode is Then the guy's leaving. He's like, what are you doing with the box? And he says, oh, we're going to go take this to somebody else on the other side of the world. <laughs> <laughs> right. So now his life is going to be dependent on, will some stranger blow him up for a million dollars? And that's kind of that's, you know, that's like the backdrop for some of these scams. But I will say this, and because the original question I asked is, 
um, what are we thinking about the state of the profession? And I actually am really bullish on it right now. Uh, I love where we're going. I love the kind of products that are coming to the surface in the profession. And I feel like the whole COVID pandemic, worldwide recession, everything is just going to keep driving people into our profession. And yeah, they'll always, like you say, this is just cyclical stuff. The the you know the the one coin is just the new version of the magic laundry ball or the magic the other one is gas pill you put it in your car and it turns your car instead of 20 miles to the gallon you get 200 miles to the gallon yeah comes around every six eight years and it works amazing you put it in your car and it increases the gas mileage 20 percent and or 200 percent and then your engine block locks up seizes the engine is done and you have to throw the car away but in the meantime <laughs> it was amazing gas <laughs> right and it's just so that that stuff will keep coming back in the cycle but it's still you know we're both from simple enough beginnings that i don't know any other way i would have become wealthy than than this business there were just i didn't fit in I didn't fit the script that the world has for the kind of people who are supposed to be successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to your question about, you know, how do I feel about the profession right now? The first thing that came out of, to me was this scams going on that they change uh, names, you know, and but that is the same guys behind them is because I, I, I was, I was, actually rescuing and I've rescued thousands of people in the last 10 years. But in the other side, the bright side, I think first, I think we need those guys. We, we, I think this profession needs an opponent, you know, mm -hmm. to, to grow, you know, to, I read a book, True Prosperity from Yehuda Berg, the guy from Kabbalah. <laughs> And he always says, you know, about, you know, about the opponent, you know, about the, what, what is, she, I mean, Michael Jordan, he wouldn't be anything without gravity, you know, cliche examples, you know, that then you see an obstacle is the way from Ryan Holiday and uh, who's making Marco Aurelius uh, great again. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I think it's, it's good. And the other side is, um, Yes, the pandemic was good, you know, for the evolution of of digital marketing for the profession. Um, I've always had in my mind since 2009 when I started using inter the internet to sponsor people that 100 people a year sponsored, 100 people a year should be normal. You know, and uh, but I was crucified back then. You know, it was like science fiction. What you're making videos? What about the call? You gotta call your nephew. He read Kiyosaki, so he wanted to. I didn't care about my nephew. I care about joining two forces. Everybody talked about leverage, and everybody talked about sponsoring. 
And I remember in May 2009, when I looked at those pillars, leverage, sponsoring, no, get out of the rat race, times, time, uh, hour per action, you know, that like changes the uh, hour per trading time for money. Exactly. But I'm trading time for money when I'm sponsoring, you know, me. I need to sponsor in a leveraged way. And that month, Facebook ads was born in Latin America. Say, okay, because I'm not going to put ads in paper, you know, or start giving, you know, flyers. Uh, I leave that to other companies. <laughs> and that's when I started doing ads. And I started sponsoring 100 people per year. Actually, my, my record was 24 people, you know, in a week. The flip side is that you have to have a good system in place <laughs> to help those people, empower those people, you know, hold those people, you know, and grow them and help them. I didn't have that. I was like, <laughs> so now, you know, 10 years later, you know, 12 years later, it's not science fiction. When I was talking about landing pages in 2009, now is perfect. So that's what actually helped my business. My, my business tripled in 2020 and 2021 because everybody said, okay, Eric, how do we do that? You know, in a simple way. And we simplify it, we systematize it, you know. And now you have people, you know, from 67 years old, a guy actually that you know here in Argentina, Jorge, sponsoring 10 people per month. You know, he's 67. You know, he, he should have the excuse that, no, I'm going to hire my niece to do this because she gets it. You know, no, no, no. He started doing it himself, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I'm happy that people are embracing the Internet, you know, thanks to the pandemic. Hey, you have to give Jorge a hug from me. Next time you see him, I'm delighted to hear about his progress. Nah, he's amazing. He's a great guy. He's so Argentinian. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He really, really is. Um, yeah, one of the things for you guys who don't know, we, we each put like three or four bullet points and like note that we want to talk to each other about before each of the show. The inspiration for this format is Tim Sales and... Um, Kevin Rose do this thing called the random show on Tim's podcast. And, um, and suppose of just me and one person all the time, I thought I'd like to do this with a bunch of different people on a regular basis and just chop it up and let the people aim. So that was kind of the, the thing. And so one of the points I wrote for you was how you were ostracized when you introduced uh social you know uh social media and internet in the business can you you kind of talk about what that was like what you had to go through at that point okay i'm in a semantics mode right now learning about that word you just said ostracized ostracized <laughs> it's another, another is a fancy word for getting my uh, getting my ass kicked, kicked or something. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, meaning like shamed and humiliated and insulted or attacked um, for doing something. Sued, actually. Um, you literally. Two thousand and eight. You literally got sued. They tried. 
they just try to intimidate me, you know, and I'm like, a, as you can know, and you actually are, are pretty much yourself, we are like a peacock. So when I try to intimidate me, I don't know why past life, karma, contracts, my chest goes up, you know, and I I just throw my nose into your head, you know, <laughs> in a figure of speech, of course. <laughs> 2008, I discovered a guy named Mike Dillard. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he he wrote an ebook called Magnetic Sponsoring. And after three weeks trying to find $27, I bought it. And he was the one who connected, leveraged, sponsoring. And I was like, okay. I didn't care about his business. I think he was in uh, um, wealth, wealth generators or something. I don't know. I didn't care anything about that guy. I just cared about unifying this stuff. So I wrote an email to all the diamonds in my company. I didn't exist in my company. I was the guy doing 100 points per week for five years straight. But I had the emails and I had the audacity to, to say, send an email explaining the future of network marketing. It's the internet. And I explained what we should do, advertising, leveraged, sponsoring, you know, 100 people per year, you know. And I thought I was going to become the rock star of my company. The next day, we had the hotel presentation. I went there with my chest, you know, inflated, you know. I guess I'm going to get the applause as soon as I get in as the innovator. <laughs> and actually, the number one guy, the number two guy in the company, hey, Everybody dressed up in ties. I remember that was the, I never wore a tie. I hated it. I said, I'm not going to wear a tie. I don't sell, you know, it's the, I don't, I'm not going to wear a tie. I get, I got into the business to get rid of the tie. Now you're going to put me a tie again? Fuck you. With all the respect. So they said me, we want to talk to you. Oh my God, you're going to send me with the diamonds, you know? And in this profession, you like idealized people, you know, they're like gods, you know, you have pajamas with their faces on it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, oh my God. I went dude, to a separate room in the hotel, men in black, you know? It looked like a black op, you know? I go, okay. It was an intervention, you know? <laughs> it's, and they kicked the shit out of me in words, you know? Because they yeah. were all, they were all people. Okay, we, I didn't build my business like this. You are trying to distract people. You are, you, you are a distraction, you know? My answer was that, hey, you built your business in 2001, you know? Why should I do the same thing as you? Maybe let's talk to a guy that become a diamond in 77. And he said, I became a diamond with letters and the fax machine. Let's do that. Let's do that. Like, like the guy. I don't care about history. I care about the future. You know, I called everybody with these hands. Fuck your hands, man. I want to become, you know, I want to pay my rent. Long story short, uh, there's one guy that was there, didn't say a thing, came to my house the other, the other day. 
and said, hey, I didn't understand shit, you know? But I understand you have a point of view. Here's my credit card, use it wisely and let me know if it works. And that guy is a friend of ours called Luca. So I got that credit card, you know, and uh, started my thing. And I started creating videos because somebody told me, if you add value, people will follow. Okay, simple enough. How do I add value? I'm going to talk the truth, speak the truth on the internet. So my first video was the 10 lies of network marketing. And it got viral, 2009. Um, I said, Donald Trump never said in a talk show that he was going to start again with network marketing. You know, no, but I started and I got a lot of comments because they thought I was a hater. You know, that I was calling out the profession. No, 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 I'm in the profession. I love it. That's why I'm doing this. So they didn't get it. And I did a, a little thing that maybe I shouldn't have done. Um, I started a funnel with a, with a boot camp, seven day boot camp, saying, do not join Herbalife without watching this. Today, that's, oh, of course, it's clickbait. But in 2009, I was the first guy to do it in Latin America. So everybody get home from the presentation in a hotel from Herbalife. They type Herbalife in Google. And I was the master of Google Ads. <laughs> the master i beat amazon at the top place at google they actually started to hire me in big companies you know because i read perry marshall's six perry marshall perry marshall another, yeah. another og blast from the past exactly i read 600 pages because they were not video courses courses you know <laughs> you had to read the 600 pages of programming shit that i learned you know and I become the master of Google Ads. But, and when Facebook came in like three months later, I can do the same ads with a picture because Google doesn't let you do that. And I put my face like this, the classic cliche, stupid, like a lot of people, the Nara and the logo of Herbalife. You cannot use a logo. That's a big no-no. And I created 19 landing pages for my 19 campaigns, one for four life, Herbalife, three, OmniLife, Monavi, Agile, everybody that was pumping it right then. <laughs> and I started to get, let's say, letters. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, I now say, ah, I remember that phrase that I've started to get in the letters from the movies. Cease and desist. Cease. Ah, that's what they, yeah. <laughs> Cease and desist. Yeah, so it gets like, ah, you know, and they send a, a letter to all Omni Life, you know, uh, distributors all over Latin America, which is like 125,000 people saying, do not listen to Eric Gamio. He is hurting our profession, our company. He's using our names because that, and that got me a ton of followers, you know? The funny thing is, I never gave a shit about the followers. I was joking with my tech guy that I've been working with for 12 years. I didn't respond to a single YouTube comment, Facebook comment in eight years, in my first eight years. I didn't care. I just was sending the information and I didn't care about being famous or, you know, getting engagement. That didn't exist. 
that metric didn't exist. I just I was just sponsoring people like crazy. I was right. making right. money for the first time in my life. So I was getting sued, just trying to get sued. Uh, Herbalife sent me a big letter, you know, intimidating letter. I mean, I'm from Peru, you know? So I, I was like laughing a little bit. I mean, okay, yeah, I'm gonna put down the ad, you know? You're gonna have to find me, motherfucker. But okay, that's my idea too, I don't, you know? Um, yeah, so, and years later, you know, I started, you know, uh, having traction with that model, I systematize it. And now it's part, everybody wants to create value to gain uh, uh, followers and all that stuff. But at the first, I mean, somebody told me, I think it was Luca, being too first, being being too advanced, is it looks almost as being wrong. So that's why people are trying to tell you that you're wrong. But I just didn't know anything else to do. I'm, I'm not, I was not going to call my... I, I was, I was, I hated faking friendship when I was in the restaurant and a guy from school that I haven't seen in 70 years showed up. My Eric, the, the, the today Eric, it's like, I'm lazy. I don't even know the guy, I don't, you know, but I was in network marketing. I needed people. So, hey, come on, what's up? Well, hold on. I will get out of the table and try to squeeze in my invitation. I hated doing that, <laughs> you know, and I've never done that ever again. Ten years. <laughs> the it's funny, and by the way, the I don't think the Eric of today would probably do the before you join Herbalife, before you join Amway, before you join New Skin. No, no, the wild, wild west day. So just for people watching, I don't want anybody. No ratio on social media coming back, but you know, we were figuring it out as we were figuring it out. For me, um, I was really, you know, I'm much older than you are, so I'm not a digital native in any way. I came much later to the internet, um, but I was a copywriter and I was a marketer. And so I, I don't know if you remember, there used to be a thing called card decks. They were like three by five index cards and they would send yeah, yeah. 60 of them in a plastic wrap and you would buy one of the cards and you'd put your ad in there and they'd mail them out to 50,000 people or whatever. Uh, you had a, a flyer a week. The name escapes me. It'll come up. But I used that. I rented mailing lists. And, you know, because I guess at my essence, I'm really a writer. And so I became a copywriter and I learned how to write copy. And so I did like you, I learned how to recruit hundreds of people. And then I also learned, wow, if you just keep throwing them in the boat, they just keep jumping out the other side of the boat. You got to find a way to do it in a way that can be replicated. And I think if you look at my direct selling success book and the kind of trainings I'm doing now, if you look at the kind of the mentoring and the coaching programs and the YouTube videos that you're doing now, we both have come to this space of saying, we, you know, this computer fad is not going away. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, 
you're either going to learn how to harness technology or you're going to be roadkill on the highway. And it is, it's all about building out those systems. And, you know, my three magic words are, how do I automate? How do I systematize? How do I scale? Because, you know, I came into business through Amway. And Amway, you sponsored someone, you went over to their house and you spent two hours with them. And you had your three ring binder, which was this thick. And you said, who do you know named Joe? Who do you know named Mo? Who do you know named Curly? Who lives on the left? Who lives on the right? Who lives upstairs? Who, who do you go to school with? Who do we do in the military? Who were your school teacher? Who, and you spent two hours on that, getting a list of 250, 300 people. And then you got out the script and said, hello, friend's name here. This is your yeah. name here calling. And I've got something I'm really excited about. And I would like to share with you what would be better, Tuesday at 7 o'clock or Thursday at 7.30. <laughs> and um, so, and you know what? In that moment, it worked. These are the days of Ozzy and Harriet or the Waltons, or I don't even know what were the shows back then right? It's a different marketplace. So, um, but what never, you know, what never changes is the human connection. So if you can automate and systematize and scale, like that was the problem with this client I was talking to yesterday. He's a, he's a genius. He's just a fucking genius in his area in his domain he has domain expertise that no one else in the world has and again i i can't say what it is because i wouldn't want to you know throw the guy under the bus he's a great guy um he just doesn't quite understand some of the nuances of duplication and how the you know the regulators view things but i'll get him there he's a good guy we'll get him i'll get him on the right track um but he's a fucking genius in his thing um, but what I told him is you don't scale, you know, he has a way to go out and produce something, uh, for the product line that I'm telling him, if you go down in a helicopter, the whole thing collapses. I don't want, you know, if, if I'm Jim Smith in Indiana and me and my wife, Cindy are looking for a network marketing company to join and we want to build a future. We want to know that if the guy goes down in a helicopter, the whole thing isn't going to blow up. You know, I have a different client, you know, that is based on a, 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 they get something from China. And I'm like, you cannot have your entire business predicated on a supply chain with China because yeah. they could click you off like that and your entire business evaporates. You know, you've yeah. got to think of the bigger picture stuff. And so I just learned, okay, I cannot go to everybody's house and spend three hours. Who do you know named Mo? Who do you know named Joe? Who do you know named Curly? And I said, okay. And I started with, um, I don't know, what did we used to call them? They weren't party lines. They were, but you would record a message on a phone line and there was no faxes. There was no internet. So you would put a message on a phone line. So I recorded a get started training on a phone line. And then I made like a workbook. 
So when wow. you sponsored someone, I gave them the workbook and said, call this number. And then it, we turned that into a cassette tape. So you'd sponsor someone, you'd give them a cassette tape and a workbook. And then it was a DVD and, or a CD and a workbook that, you know, the, the technology changed, but that it wasn't about the technology. It's about, is it scalable? Because now okay. I literally could sponsor 11, 12, 15 people in a week and give them all the CD and the workbook or the cassette tape and the workbook or the whatever in the workbook. Now it's just a link you send in your phone on WhatsApp, right? Here's a link. Go do the get started training and call me when you're done. And yeah. that scales. Exactly. But I'm still a romantic. And, that, and there's an ironic thing here. I've sponsored more family and friends uh, since I started um, with the digital stuff that, than any other period in my life. Why? When, when you have an abundance of prospects, you can lay back a little bit and call your mother-in-law. And it's a different vibe when you don't need her. The it's a different vibe. The, the posture, the totally. Posture. So I came to Argentina six years ago. I sponsored my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my two brothers-in-law, the three cousins, and my neighbor. Everything I touched, I sponsored. Why? Because I need. I didn't need them. I wasn't, you're going to love this. I started, I don't know if you're going to love this. That's why I'm going to show it to you. So you can tell me. You know, and they felt I didn't need them. I just wanted to show them this. So they were the one leaning in instead of me because I knew the next day I could sponsor five people more. You know, I, and that's I, it. I hope the people eavesdropping in on us get this thing about the posture. You can't, th th this is why my, you know, I have couple of crusades I'm on in the moment, right? Crusade one is these crypto scams. Crusade two is, all right, stop with the fucking bling bling already. It's just, yeah. okay, it's not <laughs> 1986 anymore. We don't need pictures of Lambos with stacks of cash and bimbos in yeah. bikinis. And we, we, could, we could be a little more sophisticated, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I'm all about getting out of debt now, getting out of debt. And, exactly. Um, the, and it's just when you get the, you know, when you, when you, but the posture thing is when you're approaching people and you, because uh, what I was leading with that is my other crusade is stop telling people to quit their jobs too early. Because mm -hmm. everybody, you know, I read um, just recently, you know, I had read uh, for years, I've been touting the statistic that 70% of people don't like or actually hate their job. Um, I've been talking about that since the 70s. I actually saw some research last week that put the number at 82% in a recent study that 82% of people have dissatisfaction with what they do for a living. Um, so it's just natural when they look at our business, because it, 
I mean, obviously it looks so glamorous. We get those bonus cars. We're always posting the Instagram pics from our cruise that we won and the island in Fiji or Tahiti or Hawaii or Flaco in the Burj Arab in Dubai. And, you know, Randy in front of his fleet of Vipers. And that's what we did, right? So um, the... Who who wants to go back to working as a clerk at Wells Fargo? Who wants to go back to stock and shelves at Costco? Who even if they're an accountant or an yeah. attorney or a nurse or a doctor, they're like, well, I don't want to be seeing sick people in my office all day. I want to be frolicking on the beaches like Gamio does, and you know, posting all those cool Instagram pics. So. Everybody wants to leave their job as soon as their network marketing income gets even close to what they're earning. But they don't understand at the level they're earning with the debt they have, with the mortgage on their house and their car payment and their $47,000 worth of credit card debt because they've been living on exactly 125% of what they earn every year for the last 17 years. When they replace that bank income, accounting income, Costco income, Taco Bell income with network marketing income, they still have the $47,000 in credit card debt and the car yeah. payment in the house. And, and now when they're talking to the mother-in-law and the sister and the cousins and the neighbors, they have this desperation that they can't get out of their eyes. They can't get out of the tone of their voice. And it repels people like the odor of a skunk. It's totally, just, yeah, and totally. And I think it's the other way around now. For example, I just sponsored. Well, I sponsored the first uh, lady, which is the the leader, and thirty people came uh, into the into the tree, talking in a very rudimentary way. Um, and actually, we had. I'm a very romantic, so I don't, I'm not like, I'm going to send you a link. You sign up, tell me when you're done. I like to do it myself. The, the, the concept of sponsorship is like being a father-in-law, you know, the concept of upline is like a priest, a mother, a father, a call center support system, you know, and I take that shit very seriously. That's why I really, when people start sponsoring a lot of people online, I'm like, don't sponsor more than you can chew. You're going to have to spend time developing that people because my record was 300 people between four guys, 300 people in 30 days. But we were left with five after 90 days because mm -hmm. we didn't nurture them, you know? Mm -hmm. So we have to scale down. And that's that's the, the beautiful challenge when you know how to open the doors to to leverage sponsoring, that you can scale it down a little bit. Okay, like Jorge. Jorge started sponsoring 10 people per month and he went, you know, it was hectic. And he, I mean, just gonna dial it now down to six. I think that's my number. Now, having said that, these 30 people that came in yesterday and a little bit in the morning, you know, they, they, they're going to, they have to start over this company, you know, and I'm like, okay, you, I think you're not going to want to hear this, but you all need to get a job. If you don't get a job, you're going to strangle your business for money and you don't need to do that. 
I got a job after five years, you know, when I was figuring all this out, five years of being in network marketing, I, have to, I had to fake my win into corporate uh, businesses again. You know, fake my way because in the interviews, I lied, you know, like, yes, I want to work here. You know, I just need to use you for at least six months to eight months. So you can give me a little bit of breathing room with a check. I'm going to come here every night at nine. I'm going to leave at 630, you know, and I need you. You know, I'm going to use you to build my business. So that's why I recommend people, you know, get a job because your income in network marketing is not a wage. It's called profits. It's not a wage. It's profits. So you got to put those profits like the entrepreneurs or businessmen, somebody, when you're a network marketer, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a businessman. That looks cool on your Instagram bio. You have to walk it. You have to walk the talk. You have to reinvest your profits. Nobody takes all the profits in the first year. You know, that's bananas, you know? We have the luxury of having a almost free business because we don't have to take care of employees and rent or anything of that stuff. But we have to take care, you know, of our people, you know, buy tickets to go fly places or events. So profits go back, you know, and get a job. And when you are got you're even and you know we're gonna do that, you can actually quit your job. Yeah, this is if because I'm always, I'm the guy fighting him saying, no, I need, I know you've matched your income at the bank, but I need you to stay there another six months because you still have the $47,000 of credit card debt. You have a yeah. car payment, you, you know, and then how are you going to invest in your business? Great. You're up to, you know, let's say they make 60 grand a year in the U.S., which is, you know, that would be a, a fortune in Peru, but it's not a lot of money in the United States anymore. Exactly. You go to the dentist and the bill is $2,000. If it's, you know, a bag, one bag of groceries is $150 and you yeah. need four or five bags of groceries every week to feed your family. Um, you know, I went to, I just had a, a dental surgery here. It's $4,000. And I say, Every time I same, you know, had my Land Rover in the garage, the bill four thousand dollars. I'm talking to a friend and saying, "How do poor people live? How do they?" <laughs> and then I remember because I was a poor people. <laughs> you just don't go to the dentist. You just don't. And if you have yeah. an abscess tooth, you tie a thread around it and you put it over the door and you tie it onto the handle and you slam the door. <laughs> yanks the tooth out and you bleed like you're dying for five days and you hope you don't get sepsis and you know that's what poor people do they don't fix their teeth they don't go to the doctor they don't eat healthy food right that sucks we have to show people how to escape that reality so but the point is so somebody making 60 grand here it's okay they're not in poverty, let's not be melodramatic, but it's not a, it's not, you're not wealthy making 60 grand a year in the US. Um, yeah. But so they're making 60 grand at, you know, working at ABC Bank. And now you, if they get up to a 60 grand a year equivalent check in network marketing, they want to quit the bank right away. But like you said, that's, we're talking about profit, not wage. And if you, if you make five grand in your check, great. But 
are you going to spend a thousand dollars buying airplane tickets and hotel rooms and going working in long distance lines? You're going to buy some marketing material. Do you need to keep some inventory? You know, unexpected. So you don't really, you know, that's what they're like. Well, I bought this thirty thousand dollar watch. It's only one month. In no, your thirty thousand dollar bonus check is not your profit. That's your gross. How much is taxes in the 30,000? Okay, that might be 13,000. So you didn't make 30,000, you made 17,000. Okay, and so that watch is not one month's check, that watch is five months' check. Yeah, exactly. They yeah, they don't think through that stuff. And so if I can say, stay at that bank another six months. And take that extra $5,000 a month and take 3000 of it and pay off the debt, which is at 33% annual interest rate on some yeah. fucking credit card, which is, you know, more than the fucking mafia would charge. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or, and take 2000 of that and reinvest it in growing your business. So we turn your $5,000 a month check into a $10,000 a month check. And then in six months, let's look at leaving your job. It's a big, big exactly, difference. Absolutely. And uh, I had a topic in my mind. It's in some way related to our profession because we are entrepreneurs that develop ourselves as leaders in personal growth, you know. And in the past five, six, seven years, I was writing about this in my diary, you know, dear diary. <laughs> um, and it's, I, 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 I wrote it like the topic, you know, like a headline in my diary, the loneliness of personal growth. You know, sometimes I, talk to friends like yesterday yesterday we got we went to have dinner with a couple of friends of mine that I've known for 25 years lovely couple you know and Mary and I I'm on the same boat of personal growth you know we really have have awareness that we have to grow and evolve as, as people you know read a lot went through a lot of courses we both do therapy you know, from a long time ago, because I don't believe that only books and a cute unleash the power within is gonna is gonna make me discover my darkness and confront it. Okay, <laughs> I need a therapist for that shit. And uh, but this personal growth is making me lose interest in a lot of people because they're talking. I'm not saying I'm better than them. I don't want to create a hierarchy. You know, I'm here. They're there. They're simple. They're basic. You know, no, I'm just saying maybe it's shallow what I'm saying, but um, I'm losing interest because when I'm started to talk about a little bit of depth or something, you know, they're like, oh, there goes the guru. He reads. Fuck you, man. I'm like, so I have to dumb myself, you know, like to hang out with a lot of my friends now, which are a lot of them are musicians, you know, and uh, I don't know if you have felt that when you started your personal growth journey, you know, reading books and you have started to talk with some friends of yours and you're like, but that's a limiting belief. But I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't want to be the guy who tells you that because I don't want to sound like a therapist to you, but I'm like, 
and suddenly you lose interest in the conversations because this is always about the fucking politics. The Fed is fucking us, you know? Yeah, but I don't know if you felt felt the same way, this loneliness. God. If if only you knew <laughs> you just <laughs> described the the I don't know, the 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 darkness lay in upon my heart having <laughs> having just ended a relationship with a guy that i was dating um who is sweet kind um gorgeous and knows speaking self-development and personal growth with him is like speaking in Swahili. Yeah. He's, and I, you know, you said something like, um, hey, just reading books ain't going to get to the darkness of my heart. I hope people <laughs> listening don't misinterpret that because here's how I would define what you just said is everyone in this room right now, meaning both of us and everybody watching or listening can't do that there is when you're narcissistic that's mental illness when you have unmet childhood needs that's mental illness when your ego is running rampant that's mental illness when you have uh, obsessive personality obsessive compulsive issues that's mental illness when you have schizophrenia uh, multiple personality, all, you know, they really have it bipolar. This is all mental illness. Mental illness is another way to describe insanity. And what you have to understand is insanity will always reinvent itself. Yeah. So you say, I am giving up alcohol. And you switch to marijuana. Yeah. And you become a dopehead. And you say, I'm giving up dope. And you become a gamblaholic. Yeah. I'm giving up gambling. You become a sexaholic. You just, the insanity won't allow you to kill it. It will always, it's like water always finds a way through the rock. The insanity will always, and everybody watching this is insane. Okay, all of us have some kind of issues. And so I've spent 40 years working on my issues. I got to share a story because, and it's in the book, but you're the, 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 the hero of the story. For those guys who haven't read, I don't know, I think it's, yes, yeah, the Radical Rebirth book, the one, there's a yeah. picture, I don't think they could see it behind me. So Eric is at a seminar I'm speaking at. And you had your mother-in-law with you. Who is, is she a psychologist or a psychiatrist? Psychologist. So she's a psychologist. So she's listening to my speech and she says to Eric, you didn't tell me Randy's a psychologist. And he says to, no, he's not a psychologist. She said, yes, he is. She said, no, trust me, he's not a psych." Eric, I'm a psychologist. I know when I can hear another psychologist talking, this is total shop talk. This is a very experienced, you know, psychologist. And you're telling her, no, he's a high school dropout. Yeah. 
how did that happen? That happened because I got introduced to network marketing 40 years ago and baked in the cake is self-development and personal growth. We're the only industry in the world that that's baked in the ingredient deck. It's in the recipe. Um, because of Amway, I think we could give all the credit to them that they were with their tape of the month, book of the week, you know, whatever, tape of the week, book of the month, whatever. They understood the value of, you know, Bill Britt, the per years, uh, Jaegers, you know, the OGs at Amway, they understood self-development. And so I joined, of course, Amway. I didn't make any money with them, but their shadow covers everybody in the space and everybody yeah. who was successful after has built on their shoulders, their success that they created. Um, and so I've always been involved in personal growth. And that meant I've been dealing with these issues for 40 years. And it was about 20 years in when I realized, okay, I need a professional to do this. because, And it's only because I was living with a guy at that time and our relationship was a complete fucking train wreck. And we, <laughs> we couldn't live together and we couldn't live without each other. And so he was the one who said, we have to go get couples counseling. And I'm like, I'm not letting no fucking shrink fuck with my mind. And I, but after month <laughs> after month, of this train wreck, I finally said, you know what, I've tried, we've tried everything else. Let's go into therapy. And so it takes a couple of years of therapy. And I, I say in one of the sessions, I just don't think we're supposed to be together. I think this is a big mistake. And my partner said, I I have to agree with Randy. I, I I just don't think we're supposed to be together. And the therapist said, exactly. But I couldn't tell you that. I needed you to, to come to that conclusion yourself. You guys are not in love. You're in love with the idea of being in love. Yeah. We had a beautiful house on a golf course we had the dog we had the cars we had the white picket fence we had all the we were the perfect couple except neither one of us was emotionally mature enough to be in a relationship and in yeah. my case i was so um insecure and had such low self-esteem that there's no way I could ever be in a functional relationship with anyone else because I hated myself. This is what, you know, I look back, you know, I've written 14 books now. Radical Rebirth was number 14. And I feel like this is the one that pulls everything together. All the work I've been doing in direct selling, work as an author, work as an entrepreneur, my work as a marketer, going through my relationships, getting my health, losing my health, working to get my health back. Um, everything in my life led me to write that book, which um, is not in the book. Um very few people in the world know this. And I didn't know it when I wrote the book. But the, the, 
the thing that caused me to write that book happened on Christmas Eve after that session with the counselor, which was a couple of weeks before Christmas. And I had moved out of the house. I had 8 billion airplane, you know, air, airfare, frequent flyer miles and hotel points. So I called the Marriott Hotel at the airport in Miami. And I said, I need a, a room, you know, to live in. And I got 8 trillion points and I moved into the Marriott and I wanted the relationship. I didn't want any negativity. I said, keep the house. I'm going to take my car. I'm going to take my clothes. You keep the house. You keep the furniture, any outstanding bills. I'll take care of you want to finish your school. I'm going to handle the school. All the money thing is out of the way. I just want to be a good guy and I don't want there to be any negativity. So I move into the Marriott, which is just, the most depressing fucking place on earth <laughs> you know it's like there's the mayor you're at the airport the planes are flying it's, you know like there are marriott's that are paradise yeah. i didn't think to rent in one of those marriott's i got in the one at the fucking airport with the view of the dumpster behind the 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 next hotel and the breakup the breakup marriott <laughs> yeah so it's christmas eve and i'm deciding how I'm going to kill myself that night. Mm. And um, fortunately, I call my therapist and leave a message and he calls me back. And so I didn't do something that would have been really, you know, terminal. Um, But I never realized until after that book was written that the catalyst for that book was the night I was sitting in the Marriott and was going to kill myself because I was just so depressed. And, you know, the, the kind of the too long didn't read version of the book is that you don't have to kill yourself. If you don't, if you hate yourself, like I did, you just have to kill off the parts of you that you don't like. Yeah. So I found the things that I didn't, like about myself and I changed them one by one um and so this is like a second skin to me because I'm doing the other thing is when I was 14 years old I subscribed to psychology today I thought psychology was fascinating that's probably what your mother-in-law was picking up on was I mean I've been studying psychology literally since I was 14 when I was 15 or 16 I read the book Sybil which is about this woman who had like 16 multiple personalities. And wow. it was a, yeah, so this is what I'm reading as a teenager because I found that stuff fascinating. So then I got involved in marketing and what marketing is totally about psychology. So I tell you all this journey takes me to your question and how I had to end this relationship because I just realized, you know, this guy has serious unresolved issues with his mother who was very abusive and he's got a lot of things he's got to work through and he's putting me in her place you know how they say a woman you know a little girl grows up and she wants to marry her father and a boy grows up and he wants to marry his mother and so in a gay relationship, it's a, 
a similar but different dynamic. He's yeah. was not around, only his mother. His mother's very abusive, still is to this day. So he'll call me up and he'd be ranting for half an hour about some crazy things she's done to even now that he's a grown adult, he's still facing down these issues with her because she has, she's the victim of her abuse. And you know what I mean? It hurt people, yeah. hurt other yeah. people, right? And he's so in the throes of that, that I can't talk to him rationally, logically, analytically. He, the, the nerve is too raw. And I can't convince him to get therapy. So I realized I got to end this relationship. And, you know, that's a problem. <laughs> and I have to own my role in the problem. I'd love to say, well, I've done all the therapy. And so I'm now a perfect human being. And I can't find anybody perfect like me. But that's all bullshit. That's just a story I would sell myself, right? Um, but I, I am very far along in working on my own issues. And I'm, I like myself. Not only do I love myself, but I like myself. I like my life. And it took me a really, really long time to get there. And I was always the buck tooth kid with the big nose who never fit in. I got thrown out of school. I was in jail for armed robbery and burglary at 15 years old. I was a teenage alcoholic, was a teenage drug addict. Uh, you know, I zigged when I probably should have zagged and I zagged when I probably should have zigged. Point is, I never fit in. I always said, okay, you know, like I was doing an uh, interview. Joe, Joe Vitale was interviewing me when I did the Risky is the New Safe book. And I was talking about you know, uh, cloning and real estate on the moon and ocean floor real estate and all the things I was back, you know, I was writing about Bitcoin and Uber and, you know, stuff in 2012. And he was like, finally, he says, how do you think this way? How can you think nobody ever thinks the way you do? And I said, you know, Joe, I'll just be honest. The only explanation I have is the aliens put me in a basket on my mother's doorstep and she just adopted me and never told me that I came from outer space from some other galaxy because that's the only explanation I could find I have never fit into this world you know I just I don't you know like I said there was no other industry that was going to make <laughs> but this one nobody was recruiting me nobody was trying you know what I mean I was the guy who never fit in and so now when you now we know some things now i know i'm on the autism spectrum now i know, right now i know i have a mensa iq we didn't know those things when i was young we just knew this kid is weird yeah <laughs> right my mother my poor mother what she went through what the things i put that poor woman through i mean i could never repay her for what she had to go through with me right and my teachers and my counselors and the people i was in my crazy neurotic dysfunctional relationships with and all of the 
people I hurt along the way, not because I don't process things like other people. So yeah, relationships just, you know, I, 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 you know, I was dating a guy and he calls me up and he's telling me that he goes and visits his parents and stays at their house sometimes. And so he called me up and he was talking for five minutes that he bought shampoo to keep at his parents' house because he likes a certain brand of shampoo. This was a five minute conversation. I'm on the other end of the phone. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. I can't <laughs> talk about, I do not find this fascinating that he likes this particular brand of shampoo and he's stocking it in the guest room at his parents' house. Where do I go with that? I don't want to be an asshole. I don't want to be arrogant. I need to be empathetic. I need to be caring. I want to, if something is important to somebody who's important to me, I need to be, but. When but that's the irony. Not, that's yeah. the irony. I mean, our personal growth is to know when to have empathy when somebody just wants to be hurt. You know, and that's the superpower of the people who have more introspection. I was reading the other day or, 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 or watching or hearing uh, you consume stuff in all of our <laughs> in different ways um, about people who are enlightened or illuminated, you mm -hmm. know, and a guy said, a guy who's illuminated is when he has he grabs a flashlight and illuminates all his weaknesses all his mind you know, all his brain his his darkness you know and like the mind is like a abandoned house where the person that is missing is you and you have been evading yourself for all of your life and then you shine a light into that empty house and you're going to find rats shit and it's it, it scares the shit out of you but when you start cleaning it up you start to find good qualities and good stuff you know and i really liked that kind of way of thinking about the enlightenment with a simple so, something so simple like a flashlight so Therapy, for example, you know, is the only way that I can have an accessory, a human accessory, with a that can help me grab that flashlight and push it, you know, because I'm not gonna do it myself. I don't have the tools to, to do it myself. That's why I love going to the Tony Robbins events, you know, three days, you know, with life hacks and change your vibe, sing to an an Atlantis Marie set song, and you're gonna change it. Yeah, change it in the next seven minutes then I want to kill myself again because I haven't cured or confronted the, the things inside me that I have to confront. You know, I'm not trying to, this, this, um, Tony Robbins, I, I think he's a great guy, you know, and he has, he's a good guy. I know that he's a good guy, you know, he's not selling shit, 
but um, I would love for him to end all of his <laughs> of his events saying, and now I'm uh, we're going to recommend you to a therapist in your hometown so you can continue your journey because that didn't end today. I sent all of my downlines to therapy because I'm not a therapist. You know, I'm an upline. And they maybe put me in a pedestal because I had a good, I have a good rank. That doesn't make me qualified, you know, to tell you how to deal with your mother things, you know, or 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 you were abused, you know, or whatever, you know. I, I'm just good about you know telling you a, a lot of things, you know. But I'm not gonna re recommend you a John fucking Maxwell book so you can you know <laughs> discover your darkness. So that's why I send everybody to the therapy. But in my country, therapy, my, my country, and a, whole, a lot of Latin America, not Argentina. Argentina is a European country that was left out. <laughs> very, very European. People are you shocked. Know? When they go there the first time, most people are shocked at how European it is. Yeah, the education, you know, the openness, you know, how people think, you know. I mean, here I've been... Uh, doing family constellations, you know, biodecodification, you know, uh, opening register, uh, the esoteric realm that people are are open to here is amazing. Why? Because religion is like two steps down in the hierarchy of things. But in the other countries, Latin America, religion hijacks the power to think. I'm sorry, I respect all religions. I'm not a religious guy, but they're hijackers. You know? <laughs> yeah, um, in Latin America, it's pretty much Catholicism has dominated. Yeah, the absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and people do not go to therapy because you have to go to a priest. You know, maybe the therapist is going to tell you to think. We don't want you to think. We want you to stay here. <laughs> no, the biggest network marketing company in the world comes from Rome. Motherfuckers. Okay, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and so I have to fight for everybody that, listening. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go after Flacco. He's telling you his truth as he knows it, and there's a lot of truth in there. Um, I am in this camp. I have spent 20 years blogging about the the ill effects of organized religion. It's very manipulative, very destructive in many ways. And there's amazing things about it. And amazing. I, yeah. Him and I both hope everybody finds their source of spiritual nourishment. The problem comes is people think they can outsource their critical thinking to religion. And religion exactly. Is, yeah. Religion is very happy to have you do that. You know, religions, cults, governments, they need you to need them. So even you, network marketing companies, we, we, we can actually open up the spectrum. You know, it's like a kind of like a religion where if you leave, you're a traitor and they crucify you because you left our people, our movement, you know. So I, I, I'm very, very, you know, um, careful when somebody leaves the company to go to another one. He's not the enemy. He did not betray us. It's the opposite. He started to think for himself instead of being, you know, puppeted, you know, like master of puppets by us. And our he didn't like the product after five years. We, we told him he liked the product. He started to think and he went to another company. And that's good. So 
but I, 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 what you just said, you know, the disclaimer, you know, that nobody comes after me or this um, material saying, yeah, they're, they're religion haters. No, no, no. The cool thing about religion, which I'm envy of, is that people feel very contained, you know, like they have a companion. Yeah. My dad built one of the biggest churches in Peru. My, God, my dad and my mom are re really religious, you know, and I've had a lot of friends in the, in, in the Catholic church in Peru, you know, priests, you know. One priest talk, talk, invited me to, uh, to watch a movie one day, another story, you know. <laughs> but um, good guys and uh, they, uh, the friends of the family, I just, I just didn't, like you just said, I didn't feel, uh, feel a, a mold, you know. So I needed to be my own man and grab things from different, even religions. You know, that's why I love Buddhism so much. I'm not a Buddhist, but I take a lot, you know. I'm not a, I'm not into you know, Kabbalah. It's not a religion. It's like they say, technology for the soul. But I take a few things. I take a few things from from the Catholics too, from the from the Jewish people. That's a. a I went to Dubai. I wonder, I wonder if some of the European stuff of Argentina is because of displaced Jews from World War II. Because like the other place that shocks people if you go there is Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. It is now in Florida. We have Melbourne, Florida. Yeah. Yeah, in yeah. Australia, it's Melbourne, Australia, and it is Europe. You, the minute you come out of the airport, the sculptures, the buildings, the architecture, the public space, the, you say, how did this little island of Europe get in the middle of this Australia? And it yeah. was Jews dislocated. You know, during World War II, like a big community went there. And it's yeah. it's one of my favorite cities in the world. And so there are, I'll tell you the other thing that I discovered about religion through network marketing is I had one of my team leaders was a um, director in my company. And when Hurricane Andrew came to Miami. 1992 and, or 91. Yeah, one of those right around then. And it wiped out homestead south miami the area in which he lived so it took me like two days to get a hold of him finally the cell tower was up or the phone line was back or whatever it was and i got a hold of him and i i had left a message and said what do you need i you know i i got food i have supplies i have money i have hammer screwdriver toolbox tell me what you need and he called me and said yeah uh, we could use help. The roof blew off the house. Um, this, we have no electric. We have no phone. We have da da da. da. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'll come down. So I go down there and I take my toolbox to go. I pull into his driveway and there's a new roof on the house. And there's a new roof on his neighbor's house and there's a new roof on the other neighbor's house. I'm like, I know this is his house. He told me he lost his roof. There's a new roof for I talked to him yesterday. There was no roof on this house. So I knocked the door. He opens it up. He opens and there is a the bread rack like I used to have when I was a restaurant manager with 
you know, a trays which each have 20 loaves or 40 loaves of bread on them. There's, there's like three bread racks. And then there's uh, three coolers stacked up with gallons of milk in them and what. And I'm like, hey, Seuss, what the hell is going on? He said, oh, that's, he was Mormon. So he said, my church made it here yesterday. So they, you know, they knew the storm was coming to central, to South Florida. They didn't know where. So all these Mormons from all over the United States and Canada and Mexico and wherever, they all left their jobs, left their family, put supplies, food, groceries, tools, lumber, tarps, everything. And they staged in Orlando, waiting wow. for the storm to pass. And then they went down. And so they got, and he's a bishop in the Mormon church. So they brought him, you know, we've got the list of all of the people in your, you know, church give us let us know who needs food who needs money who needs roof they put up his roof they built the neighbor's roof the other neighbor's roof and then they got the list of who else in the church and i mean i was so amazed at the i used to tell them all the time listen i am so impressed with the mormon religion if, if you didn't have those rules about drinking smoking drugs <laughs> and sex i would be in tomorrow <laughs> you know? yeah it's just yeah. it's um, you know that's the other side of religion and that's the other side of our business and our profession is we can create those kind of communities and we can create that kind of you know amazing. yeah of course and as you were talking about this i mean because i like that parts of um movements you know, to to just not say the word religion you know movements you know and communities you know and uh what i was thinking i i read in the in the actually you you made me look at this book uh principles but this guy ray dalio dalio yeah um and i grabbed a phrase that i love that it's learn to struggle well you know and it's so simple but so profound we as, as an entrepreneurs in network marketing or in the textile business or in the real estate business we're gonna get our asses kicked in some way because we need to do we need to you know because we have to get tough skin for the battle of entrepreneurship that doesn't end at 5 p.m like a job our project is our baby and we're 24 seven thinking about our baby and the survival of our baby. So the thing I was, I wanted to put into the mix in, in this chat was about frustration. We are in a profession in these events, you know, Tony Robbins just came out, comes up to my mind a lot, you know, like frustration or defeat is not welcome because we have to be like Iron Man, you know, and you have to pound through, you know. And there's a very big lady here. It's like the Oprah of Argentina that says a famous phrase so simple says that if you have to cry, just cry and cry and cry and let it in. Let the frustration come in. Welcome it 
you know and uh what do you think about that you know in a in a that we are so much depending on our, our styles but the whole profession is kind of rah-rah everything's cool you know it's kind of like a negation of reality when hey i just want to be sad for this week you know so let me be don't try to cheer me up upline <laughs> <laughs> this is where both of us use our psychology training and most people simply can't relate to it because they just they you see somebody hurting and you desperately want to help them and you have a solution yeah yeah and you just hate that they're sad and it takes really some some it takes most people a lot of work with a mental health professional to recognize the need to allow grief and to just support people and be there. And some, you know, for me, especially that's my problem because of the autism, you know, when you say, um, well, you just have to be a good listener and you have, well, no, you know, why I have all those problems in relationships and, you know, friendships and, dealing with people who maybe aren't at that level of intellect, you know, IQ is one of the, you know, autism is, you know, and there's a huge spectrum, right? So you have people that need to live on campuses or live in centers or live with their family because they're not able to function. Some of them yeah. are completely nonverbal. And then there's people like me, Elon Musk, people who are very high intellect people who, and Elon's the perfect example. He has the empathy of a eggplant. Yeah. You know, he goes into Twitter and sends an email and says, okay, 10,000 of you are fired tonight. All right. Uh, yeah. Sends an email. Okay. Everybody be on the second floor at 8 PM or we're assume you don't work here anymore. There. <laughs> and it's taken me years um, to get better at that myself because um, we're just not, we're not good with niceties and, you know, like every client I work with, I think they go through a process where they all hate me at the start because I come yeah. into meetings and I'm just lobbing grenades because I'll be like, well, you know, I, 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 I'm in the first meeting with all the leadership team of this company that hires me, and they say, what do you think are of the goal of becoming the recognized global leader of fill in the blank? I won't say what it is, but to protect the innocent. <laughs> and I say, that's got to be the dumbest fucking idea I've ever heard. And here's why. And I give three very succinct points why this would be a terrible idea from a branding, marketing, everything. Well, unbeknownst to me, they've had a leadership retreat two weeks ago, and they all brainstormed. And this is the result of that brainstorming session that everybody from the CEO down was excited about. And this was going to be their focus for the next two years. 
And I came in and pissed all over it in 10 seconds with no empathy, no political correctness, no manners, because that's who I am. That's when you hire me, you know, nobody likes to be told their baby is ugly. But don't I'm going to share a story about you. That's why I'm <laughs> laughing because, yeah, that's exactly right. I was in a meeting. Maybe you well, wait. Hold that this? story. Hold that okay, story. Okay. Okay. Book market. Okay. Let me finish this. So that happens with every client I work with. That happens in every relationship I'm in. Every committee I join, they're like, who the fuck is this guy? He just says what's on his mind. He says, you know, and I think they hate me. And they do. I don't think they hate me. I know they hate me. But after three or four meetings, they realize he really isn't trying to attack me personally. He really doesn't dislike me. He is not afraid to attack an idea and challenge it. And he never personalizes it. He will just say, that idea is shit and here's why. Or I believe that's a very foolish path to take. And here's, let me prosecute the case on why it is. And the truth is, I'm going to sound like an arrogant son of a bitch for saying it. But the truth is, I'm usually right, because I'm really smart. And I'm mm -hmm. really old. And because I'm really <laughs> old, I've had a lot of experience. So I've made a bunch of mistakes. And I've learned why yeah. certain pathways end up in disaster. And I think people, you know, because now I have companies that I worked with 20 years, 30 years ago, and I'm still friends with those people. And they always call me when they come to Miami. And I always call them when I go to their town and we go out to dinner and we have bonds of friendship that have survived decades. But they hated my guts at the start because they've never met a functioning autistic person before. Or, you know, it's there's a show called The Good Doctor on ABC, which is an autistic doctor. And it's it's like my favorite show on TV because <laughs> his name's Dr. Sean Murphy. And I'm like, oh, every week I get to see somebody who's like me because he will just say, um, you know, he'll be in the operating room and he'll say, my wife thinks that we have sex too many times a week or my wife thinks we don't have sex enough time a week. And everybody in the operating room is shocked. But that's what autistic people do. We don't yeah. filter out how it's going to be. And um, <laughs> so this skill of empathy, because you ask, like, we get someone and their dog died or their mom died or their son died or whatever. You know, I desperately want to help them and I desperately want to make them happy. I want them to find the hitting blessing and, and, and hopefully they'll get there. But to your original point is we have to know they need to go through that grieving process. And the hardest thing for me, let me not affirm that, cancel that. In the past, the hardest mm -hmm. thing for me might've been to just realize, no, just shut up and hold their hand. And just yeah. be there for them and just listen to them. You know, my brother just died about um, yes, two and a half. I weeks. was actually going to, classic, I was actually going to call you about that. Yeah, I'm so sorry about that. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I had to just 
call my mom and just let her talk. Yeah. You know, there's nothing I could do to yeah. help. Nothing except exactly. let her talk. Yeah. So anyway, that's answering your question. What's the story of me that you uh, thought of or you wanted to tell? <laughs> I don't know if you're going to be left standing after this, but um, <clears throat> here we go. <laughs> Let me, let me no. get the let me get the edit button ready. <laughs> no, I mean, I see myself in you a lot because we have a something something similar in the way we sometimes communicate things that we just pepper it with sarcasm, you know? Yeah, yeah we use and humor to diffuse difficult situations. Exactly. Um, we both do that a lot. Exactly, you know, and uh, something that I learned from you, you know, and uh, from the work we had together is that you hated passive aggression uh, or, or being passive aggressive uh, in communicating stuff. You know, you'd like to be bold, you know, and you, and you know, Latin people are more like, you know, more more salsa like they don't, you just want to need to be liked, you know, and and Americans are more like this, you know. For example, just quick story. I was talking to my lawyer in the United States, and he he said we're gonna have a 15-minute meeting talking about my life, you know, my my views and all that stuff that you you know. 15 minutes, there's not there's not such a thing in Latin community like 15 minutes meeting <laughs> and i asked questions you know and he was like yes no we cannot do that mm -hmm. he didn't have to do it and i loved it it was 13 minutes i was like cool you know so to the story <laughs> we were in a meeting and uh there were three of us we're gonna protect the innocent here let's call it tommy and gina like our friend John Bon Jovi, we were, but actually they were they were both guys, you know. So maybe Gina just went the other way, and uh, and you were in the in the in the in the big screen, you know. And this guy talked for forty five minutes with a huge presentation that actually I knew he was trying to send a message across to you, you know. But that's 45 minutes of not nonsense, but information that wasn't required to solve a problem that we were having. And you were there for 45 minutes listening, you know? And I was looking at you saying, it's amazing that this guy has the respect to hear this amount of horseshit or irrelevant shit, you know? Because we were here for something else. And then, this guy finished the 45-minute keynote and you were like, I live in Miami, as you know, and I live in a building. My floor is, and I know this, the way you said it, because I've told this story so many times. <laughs> I remember this. <laughs> so, you, I live in the 12th floor. Actually, it's supposed to be the 13th floor. But 
for, you know, the sake of luck, uh, the luck, uh, the, uh, the people who believe in luck, lucky numbers are not 13th floor, just is removed. So I'm in the, in the 12th floor, you know? And I was thinking about that all during the presentation because I was thinking what would happen if I open the window and I jump to the to the to the road because I just wanted to kill myself <laughs> because of these 45 minutes. <laughs> and I was like, first of all, the guy who was making the presentation, who is an important guy, you know, <laughs> a guy you shouldn't say that since you this is a guy with power, oligarch power, you know. <laughs> I was like, my mind was between two things. Is this guy gonna basically send a missile because he has contacts to Miami? <laughs> and the other side is, what a perfect, you know, storytelling with a great punchline <laughs> of a sarcastic response with the touch of a hammer. You know, so it was, it, this was a craftsmanship of sarcasm, you know, in a, like, like, like a stand-up comedy, like, I mean, who's that guy? The Jewish comedy guy? Um, no, George Carling would have been very proud of this guy yeah. <laughs> if he was alive. So, yes, you're bold and that touch, touch of sarcasm Sometimes unnecessary. Yes. But, uh, and I, but will you are... I will own that. I will own that. You know? Um, but if you are in the in the stands watching the crossfire, it's fun. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but it, maybe it's not for the benefit of the issue at hand. <laughs> yeah. And that is, you know, the blessing of being autistic is we have a gift for seeing things other people don't. And the curse of it is we have no patience for stuff like that. And even yeah. there is a cultural thing, too, which I've, you know, it's been really good for me doing so much work in Latin America. In America, we would think nothing of walking up to the concierge in our condo and saying, do I have any packages? If you do that in Mexico or Colombia or Uruguay, it's basically like walking up and slapping someone in the face. Totally. Bad manners. Yeah. Because you didn't say good morning first or hi. Yeah. First. Hello. You how are you, Flavio? What's up? How's the kids? Yeah. Do we have a package? Like, like I think it was for a favor, you know? Yeah. And so that was really good for me to see that. And now I notice it so much and I'm just shocked. I always sit in in the aisle of the airplane and so there's always a person in the window seat and before you take off the flight attendant will often come and ask to hang up your jacket and then when you land they'll bring it back and hand it so i'm just shocked how many times the guy next to me is some power businessman executive won't say hi won't say thank you they just hand it to them or they say 
you know, they'll hit the thing and say, are you picking up the coats? And they're just even toll booth. I, I always say hi at the drive through window when I get to the window before I give them yeah. the money. I always say hi. We don't actually give money to toll people anymore. It's always electronic. Yeah. But even five years ago, we still had it. And I, I couldn't imagine handing somebody a bill and not speaking. But I'm in cars with people. I was in cars with people all the time that didn't happen. I think somebody you and I both know near and dear to our heart, Alvaro. Yeah. Uh, Alvaro Zuniga Benavides. Yeah. I'm going down. He's the CEO of a company down there in Peru. I'm going down with him. We go in the office in the morning and he walks in and he kisses the first woman at the reception thing. Then he kisses the next woman in the next office. He kisses the one in the third. He could, there's like 11 women working <laughs> in the office. He kisses each one. There's 10 men. He hugs each one. I'm watching all this as a gringo. And I'm saying, <laughs> if this Love guy it. comes to Love the United it. States, he's going to be sued for sexual harassment. <laughs> this company will get closed down. But that's just, I mean, even to this day, I'm sure you, if you got an email from him at the bottom of the email, it says, un abrazo, which means a hug, right? In America, if you sent, because this is a business relationship. If you send an email to somebody and it says a hug at the bottom, <laughs> they, one, they want to know if they're, if you're hitting on them. And then two, they want to know who, what lawyer can they call to start a sexual harassment lawsuit? It's, it's, there's so much. That's what I love about working in Latin America is it's, and particularly as a emotionally challenged person <laughs> that was for so many years. I think that was really helpful for me working in, in Latin America. So much work I do down there now. And in Argentina, it's even, I mean, it, it, I would say worse, but we are not talking about a scale of badness. It's even more curious because Argentinians come from Italy, a lot of them. So my my mother-in-law, which you knew, she's Italian, you know? And uh, so here it's more touchy-touchy, you know? Guys, everybody, the first time I met my father-in-law, we kissed. That in the United States would have, would have been impossible, you know? We laugh a little bit about when two women shake their hands like this. Hello? Yeah. You know, I'm like, whoa, what's that, you know? Three feet away? Is, is there still a virus there? What the fuck? And here, you know, when Alvaro comes, people comes to him, hey, Alvaro, kiss in the cheek, kiss in the cheek, kiss in the cheek. And we, you have a little bit more you know, uh, try, to and the, I'm trying to remember, isn't Argentina the one where it's three kisses? No, 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 that's France. Oh, no, Russia or some other. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, okay. there's somewhere I go where it's left, right, left. You have to kiss them three times. Well, no, in Italy, it's two times. So that's why here, when when the family, you know, the family, because my, my, <laughs> my family-in-law, they, they say hi to each other. They... Yeah, like this. They don't do it with me because I explicitly say it's a lot of time. 
<laughs> you know, hello, hello. Because we have the big house. So every Sunday, like every Italian family, we have the big um, uh, table. They come and they come like nine at a time, you know. I it's seven minutes, seven minutes of touchy touchy. Okay, let's go. go guys. One. But um, but it's very funny, you know, because here there's a lot of hello, you know, like touching the cheek, you know, or my father-in-law, you know. Is it this a flea? Hey Alexa, stop music. Got a little Van <laughs> Morrison sidetrack. I don't know. I think, you know, there's a part where artificial intelligence achieves singularity and they <laughs> surpass human knowledge and they have understanding. And I think yeah. Alexa just decided she wants <laughs> to hear Van Morrison. So she started. There's no one in the house except me. Yeah. And she just well, she read me wrong. She read me. Wrong. I hate Van Morrison. <laughs> let, me, let me tell her. <laughs> Hey Alexa, stop music. Alexa. It was Siri, not Alexa. That was my problem. The two this women in your new, life. The new world of tech, right? <laughs> so it's you so know funny that, how cultures work. Culture yeah. Thing, that culture thing about network marketing, here's what I love, is it it just, you know, we learn so much about the world. I love, I can give it my team together and I have women in burqas and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Muslims and uh, Jews and Christians and atheists and Catholics and, you know, Vietnamese. We used to be at war. We had a war with Vietnam, right? And then I'm sitting backstage at my convention and we do a parade of diamonds who go in and we all have our flags. And so I was next to the Vietnamese diamonds <laughs> who were in my team. And I'm like, yeah. God, you know, because I'm old enough. That was in the 70s, right? I was yeah, yeah. around then and I remember the Vietnam War. And now here we are together holding flags, working as a thing. Um, so I have this amazing, I had this amazing leader in Malaysia, a woman who's really sharp. And young and pretty sexy. Yeah. And we were opening up Indonesia, which is the largest Muslim population in the world. Um, pretty conservative. And um, women are wearing burqas there and stuff. And so, and I know my leader, she's, you know, she might wear a skirt that's a little short, something. So I tell her, listen, you know, we're going to Indonesia. I think you should wear a pantsuit. You know, the culture there is different. She said, you're right. I didn't even think of that. Let, that's what I'm going to do. So we go and there's a couple whose diamonds from another line there. So the company is officially opening Indonesia and I'm there representing my line. And this other couple is representing the other diamond line that was in the company. And they're young and she shows up wearing a sleeveless dress with a very short skirt at the bottom of the, you know, whatever you call the bottom of the dress. Yeah. And I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be interesting. 
because all the, you know, we do the median and, and I mean, literally every woman in the room is wearing a burqa with the, you know, the head cover, face cover, everything. And um, she, this other line, they get, you know, my, my lady and I speak and we do the thing and this couple comes up and we had a product that was like a libido product for women. And so she gets up and she starts talking about this product. And she said, guys, your women are going to feel sexy. How many of you? And she's waving her bare arms up. How many of you would like your women to feel sexy? And it's just silence. Just, <laughs> I mean, it's like from the stage, it's like looking at a, a room full of owls. They're just... <laughs> <laughs> and I want to crawl into a hole. Um, but that's, you know, the, one of the cool parts of our business is that we get to discover those other cultures and customs and, you know, and then and we need to learn them. You know, you go to Asia, yeah, yeah. somebody gives you a business card, and you put it in your pocket. That's like slapping them in the face. It's insulting to them. You know, if wow. you just take it with one hand, it's insulting. You know, when they give you a business card, you should take it with two hands, you know? Yeah, they, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That I remember when you came to Argentina, I mean, for an American to come to Argentina, well, actually for a Peruvian to come to Argentina, because we don't kiss guys in the cheek when we met them, when we meet them. For the past, before the pandemic, the, it was five years, four years I was here. So we had the weekly event. Do you know how it was for me? Every time they introduced me to a guest, I had to kiss the guest, the guy. What? Hello, who are this Eric Gamio, you know, uh, double blue diamond. So it was like, and when you came here, we were like, hey, do not kiss the Ringo. Okay? Please. <laughs> Go. Because I, I know you, and besides uh, the, the, the culture difference, I look at you as, as Johnny Depp. It's a shyness. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a curious shyness. On stage, there's no shyness. But it's seen you at dinner parties rocking in a corner <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know i remember you were in mexico and uh in in df a lot of people you know and suddenly you know everybody came coming up to you you know to us you know uh shaking hands you know and, and then you weren't there And, uh, and actually, Mary called. She was in Buenos Aires. Hey, how are you doing? I'm looking for a Randy. I'm going to take him out. You know, take him out of the event. Why? He's hiding somewhere. <laughs> I'm gonna, <laughs> I know where he is because I was going to hide there, too, because we just need a little bit of space with all these people coming up. to. I, I, I mean, we couldn't even eat at the table, I remember. Yeah. Um, but first, I'm going to get a... a 
Uh, and SUV, we had SUVs for each of the leaders. I'm going to take about. And I remember I went to the production office, you know, and there was all the computers, people with flyers, you know, the production classic office of an event. And you were there in a chair, you know, looking to the floor. And, and, uh, and I told you, hey, I remember this perfectly. I got an SUV outside. We live in two minutes. You were, you were like this. You're a good man. <laughs> you know, and we got the hell out of there even before the party started you know we did our job you know we love people you know but we need we need our suite you know for ourselves you know catch a movie go to sleep <laughs> yeah. yeah people don't understand that if you're an extrovert you gain energy from the audience if you're an introvert, you lose that you you give the energy to the audience. And so yeah. when after I'm, you know me, when I'm on stage, put a quarter in the jukebox, man, I'm ready to go. Put 10,000 yeah. people, hand me the mic and I can. But when I get off that stage, I need three hours to decompress. Um, and just process and get my get my mental harmony my energy back absolutely absolutely have you seen the video of john bon jovi in the wedding no because he's you know the quintessential rock star you know thirty thousand people every night for 40 years but he was in a wedding and there was a little little wedding you know in the backyard you know some place you know and he was in the table and there was a uh a band and the band started singing living on a prayer you know he, they did a good job you know and <laughs> if you're this and, and there was a girl this was a chick that was a singer of the of, of this cover band you know and john bon joey was in the front row so everybody was thinking even me watching the video the girl is gonna grab john bon joey you know and she goes to the to john my friend john and it's like, oh, you halfway there. Whoa. And Johnny's like, you, you cannot hear his voice, but it's like, like you got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? And Dorothy, his wife is there and she knows like he's going through hell, you know? And, but she's enticing, I mean, the singer, she's enticing him, you know, to like, I mean, maybe she knows She's bugging him, but that's one in a lifetime opportunity. You got to get to sing John Bon Jovi with John Bon Jovi in a wedding of your friend, you know? So fuck it, you know? Right, <laughs> Why right. did you do that song? Right, <laughs> so right. this, is my, this is my time to shine, motherfucker. And he's like, yeah. It's, and everybody, yeah. and he went yeah, and sang. He was like, he grabbed the mic like, like, like this. And he just became John Bon Jovi, you know? I was afraid he was not gonna be able to to to, to sing because he's sing, singing like shit today, but he did it. Put John Bon Jovi wedding, and you're gonna <laughs> see his face of. Okay. <laughs> so we have a uh, of ex football quarterback who's a broadcaster now, Terry Bradshaw. He was a uh, won the three Super Bowls with the Pittsburgh Steelers back in the day and he's a broadcaster now on Fox so he they had Paul McCartney uh doing the halftime show years ago 
And so they brought McCartney into the booth to do the interview with the broadcasters. So Bradshaw gets him to sing a Beatles song with him, which again, you could tell like McCartney was not buying into this. Bradshaw was just totally in his face, in his space. It was totally out of line. He got crucified on social media and the regular media for doing it. And he's just like, it's my mom. I had a chance to sing with a beetle and I took <laughs> it and I don't give a fuck what anyone else does. I mean, you got to respect that in a way. <laughs> I would yeah. hate, you know, cause I'm the guy who hates and, and I have this magnet whenever I'm at any concert, any show and universal studios, Disney world, whatever, every show they pick someone from the audience and they bring them on stage and they, and they just, I have some magnet that they pick me and, and, and every dancer who comes and, you know, like all the women are going to come and pick one man from the audience and bring him on stage to hula dance at the luau in Hawaii. It's like, uh, I, I somehow I have to fix that. I have to create a bug repellent that works in those situations because I don't know. I just, I'm the one they, they pick. So you brought up John Bon, bon you brought up Bon Jovi. I sent you uh, a voice note and I said, oh my God, I just discovered this band, Monoskin. Check them out. Rock and roll isn't dead yet. And for you guys who don't know, Eric is a brilliant headbanger, guitar player, you know, Guns N' Roses, Poison, you know, the heavy metal, you know, hair band stuff from the 80s and the 90s and whatever. And he's a brilliant guitarist who and total rock and roll zombie. So I told you rock and roll isn't dead. Check out this band. And you wrote back, I know rock and roll isn't dead because we have, and then you said the name of a woman that nobody in the world would expect a headbanger rocker to say. You remember that? My dear Billie Eilish. I love her. I mean, and uh, I mean, rock and roll for me, not as a listener, but, uh, but as a creator, because I mean, Wait, here I think it is. This is my album. This is a tiger. And my band, Natura, which is ironically a direct selling company in Brazil. But I didn't know that. You know? Who, who happily, I can say, is a client of mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, But for me, rock and roll is is a way of doing stuff, a way of uh, the energy, the aggression, you know, the wit, the grit of creating music and executing that music in a, in, in a way. That's why I was all in for w, uh, NWA to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because that's, those guys are, Ice Cube is rock and roll as fuck. <laughs> 
you know oh, man. The, yeah. it's what a what a what a dent in the universe they have made of course you know and i love those guys so they critique them a lot for being you know nominated you know before the cranberries you know um but uh and i love the cranberries also um but i think i mean i was in the mastermind event two hours before i had to get on stage and i went backstage and talked to wes i think and the other british guy that was in charge of things i don't know he, he was probably british. malcolm 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 yeah yeah i mean i'm gonna be well um yeah yeah two hours sharp no like 8 15 you, you go on stage okay I'm going to go back to my room and check my presentation, you know, get on the flow. But suddenly, I I heard Dana Collins talking to Art Jonak, which is also a music fan. He just text, text, texted me the other day, the documentary of Duff McKagan. Um, so we were, you know, and they were talking about this girl, Billie Eilish. And I was like, who is Billie Eilish? And Dana Collins, which is a music fan, you don't know who Billie Eilish is? If I don't know her, it's because she doesn't exist in rock and roll. Who is Billie Eilish? And she I is... walked I walked up to the conversation at exactly yeah. that point yeah. to hear you say that, by the way. And, and she told me, go to your room <laughs> and, 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 and find her. So I barely, I, she, she, she says she's the coolest kid. Everybody in high school would have been, you know, happy to, I mean, incredibly like to be friends with. She was, she's the coolest person in the planet right now. And she was, it, this is 2018. Okay. Yeah. Or 19, no, 18, 2019. I went back to my room, Billie Eilish. I hate, I discover bands not on Spotify. I don't want to hear how they can record. I don't give a shit about their recording. I want to see them live, how they execute. When I see them, they can play, they can sing, and they can execute their art. Then I'll go to see how they recorded it with a thousand gadgets and technology that can actually, you know, disguise the lack of talent. Always discover the band in the live setting. So I put Billy Eilish. Can yeah. literally take an out of tune singer and put them in tune. Exactly. So you know, um, I put Billy Eilish on YouTube, and I heard she was in a concert in in Milan. Uh, that was in that year, and she started singing this song, "Bad Guy." the lyrics, the execution. It's so aggressive, but she sings like this. So the paradox of her softness in singing and the aggression, you know, with no distortion in the guitar, it was like, what is going on? It's a non-distorted guitar, a whispering singer, but this is fucking metal. <laughs> and it's and it's truthful. It's sincere. You know? So I spent two hours watching Billie Eilish videos. 
I guess I get goosebumps just talking about that girl. So I went back to the mastermind, not knowing what the fuck to say because I didn't watch my presentation. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I, I could just sing bad guy a lot. So I, so I heard, I mean, and that's why I think, and then, then, and I, is, is it just me who is in awe of this girl? And when I came back from, the, from my mastermind speech, I heard an interview of Gene Simmons for the idiots out there. She's, he's a singer of Kiss. Sorry, not idiots, ignorant, but idiots. She is Kiss. And Dave Grohl talking about Billie Eilish. Yeah. So, okay, it's not me. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying she's rock and roll. Everybody's okay, you know, because I was afraid of saying, calling my friends in the chat group saying, I just found the new Nikki Six, <laughs> you know, and she's a 17 year old bra. You know? <laughs> um, but I mean, I love her. And I'm going to actually, she's going to come to Argentina in a couple of weeks to the Lollapalooza, you know. Uh, that was was actually a grunge festival in '92, and now it's a whatever, whatever who can get into the build festival. Um, but it's I'm gonna watch her, and I'm gonna and I'm and I'm, I'm, I'm such, such a fan, such a fan. I love yeah. it. Yeah, I just I'm just shocked at the talent. I, I'm a I'm absolutely addicted to talent shows. <laughs> I know. You think you could dance American Idol the X factor stuff. And it's astounding the level of sophistication, 15, 16 and 17 year old kids. They're winning some of those shows and they're coming in second place, third place and other times should win them. And I'm just saying, that's not possible there. <laughs> it's like, um, I'm a big Johnny Lang fan since when he was like 16 years old. Uh, for those of you who don't know, you got to Google Johnny Lang, blues guitarist. And at 16 years old, he was singing like he had been smoking two packs of Camel and drinking a bottle of Jack every day for the last 30 years. He just had that, um, I don't know, the, the, like, that voice of just amazing and he was like 16 17 just and a virtuoso with the guitar um it's just they're they're uh, you know people like uh billy eilish they're, they're freaks of nature they just have a presence on stage that you know it's like you know i've spoken to more than two million people i'm in the speaker hall of fame I've spoken in 52 countries so far. I know a little something about presence on a stage. And it took me 30 years to develop that. And these 16-year-old kids, 15-year-old kids, 17-year-old kids are, they're just naturals at it. It's the presence, the gravitas, the... It's astonishing, really. Just astonishing. Yeah, and the talent. I mean, and she's so down to earth, you know. She won, I don't know, 10 Grammys. She just won an Oscar for the Bond movie uh, song. 
And the cool thing is that they asked her, would you ever have imagined, I mean, that you will actually write a Bond song? You know, I mean, where do you start? Do you know what her answer was? I wrote four songs for the Bond song, for, the, for, the, for, for Bond when I was 14. I just oh, wow. One. Amazing. I just <laughs> Amazing. I, I didn't know I was going to do it. I just, I'm a musician and I'm, I was with my brother and I was like, hey, let's make Bond songs, <laughs> you know? Oh, this is the drama, you know? And another day to die, you know? And dying, it's not a... And then, well, when we had, for, we, picked, we picked one of when I, I did when I was a kid and hence Zimmer came into a little bit of an arrange, arrangement, not too much because the song was done and we put it out. Hence, fucking simmer, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, and, and her brother is a, a bona fide genius in his own way. Genius, you know. I mean, I mean, those guys. I mean, Paul McCartney, Trent Reznor. You know, those guys that they, they, they produce. You know, uh, I don't know. I, I was thinking about Billy Billy Holiday from the Beatles. These guys. I mean, Phineas. His music sucks. I, I I heard it in the airport because they told me, "Hey, but listen to Phineas himself." I, and that's the cool thing about artists. Sometimes alone, they're not as good as combined with another to rebound the genius. You know, his songs, yeah, pop songs, good. You know, interesting, talented, but with Billy, they're a force of nature. And mark my words, you know, Billie Eilish, you know, Madonna, Lady Gaga, you know, Barbara Streisand, they're in the same plateau, you know. That's why I, I heard Gene Simmons talking about Billie Eilish saying, that's going to be an amazing journey to watch. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> well, and the thing with Phineas is there are people that, I mean, the, the job of a producer is, is such creative genius of its own. And there's people like Pharrell, um, yeah. Rick, Rick Rubin. Uh, back in the day before you were around, we had a guy in the 70s called Phil Spector. Of um, course, I know Master Phil because he worked with the legend John Lennon in okay, Double Fantasy. So I thought maybe you was too, he was too early for you. But I mean, there's people like that that just, they... They bring the genius out of other people. That's what I feel is the talent that I want to cultivate the most that I think is the best in our profession is. And I always say I, I cut I really became successful after in, in network marketing after running a bunch of volunteer organizations where you can't hire and fire people. You have to inspire them to hang around. And I just, so like when I was running the Speakers Association, the way you were elected president of the Speakers Association is if you were out of town doing a speech when the vote was taken, they say, hey, Randy yeah. isn't here, he's in Detroit, let's make him president because <laughs> he's not here to turn it down because they lost money every year. The president would like lend money to the, chair you know to the treasurer to mail out the renewal notices i mean and i was like 
We're going to come in, we're going to build the membership, we're going to increase attendance at the meetings, we're going to get one year worth of budget in advance in the cookie jar, and we're going to make this a successful organization. That's what I'm going to do in my year as president. And I'm, you know, and every meeting I went around to four or five people and I say, you know, I think you could be, uh, you're a candidate for leadership with the chapter. You know, I don't know if you're interested, but we're having a board of directors meeting after the regular meeting. If you would, I'd love to invite you to sit in because I think you'd be a good candidate. And basically, the next five presidents came out of people that I uh, invited and recognized. And the same thing with my church board. You know, we were a struggling church in a crack neighborhood in downtown Miami in the cocaine cowboy days of the 80s. Uh, when I first went, there were 11 people there. We turned that into a church with a couple thousand people coming every Sunday, you know, and just hanging from the chandeliers, the, doing three services a day on a Sunday. Um, but it was grooming the next generation of leaders. And then that, that was the gift that I still try to hone so much every, every day in our profession is, yeah. you know, we have to recognize the greatness in people before they know it themselves. And I think adding to that point is to letting them shine because you talk about duplication, you know, and an army of volunteers, you know, duplicating activities, you know, simple activities. But um, I was, I was, there's a guy in 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 our company he's very he's a good guy you know him but we're not gonna say his name he's a good guy but he's kind of like a general and he wants everything to be exactly like he wants and even in the in the middle meeting we had a couple of weeks before the way to speak the way to dress and the way to conduct ourselves in public you know because of duplication and i raised my hand and say duplication has its limits and should has its limits duplication for me is about the system not the person no because he wanted us to start dressing like before in suits and stuff if you tell me to cut my hair stop using Uh, t-shirts with a skull and all-stars in my presentations you're gonna you're gonna mold me into something i'm not gonna you're gonna it's gonna neuter you it's gonna exactly gonna neutralize you and i don't care about me but the audience doesn't want to see the same guy every 25 minutes in the presentation do you want to see the crazy guy They want to see the lovely lady. They want to see the lady that is sexy. They got to see the brother who is semi-autistic and sharp and sarcastic. Then the guy that loses, like, dresses like a heavy metal clown. And then there you go. So that, that's inclusion that can be ripped off with duplication, you know? But um, yeah, I just wanted, I was thinking about that the other day. You got to let people be themselves. And as you say, discover their talent but let the, the talent shine in the sincere way imagine like katie perry they, they wanted 
Katy Perry can be the next Avril Lavigne, they said. And she responded, I want to be the first Katy Perry. <laughs> they wanted Greg Alden. Nobody listening is going to know who that is, but they wanted <laughs> Greg Alden to put on a pair of tights and put a sock in his tights and be a, a glitter rocker. I mean, yeah. it, it, there is a, you know, I, I have a guy on my team who was, came from one of the old school companies and he was tatted up from his whole body. I mean, it's from yeah. his wrist, chest, everything. He has tattoos everywhere on his body, but his face. And he came from a company and they told him, you never come to an event without long sleeves. You know, you're never going to sponsor anybody. If you show those tattoos, you need to cut your hair. You know, you need to, and that was, you know, and, and I'll own it that when I started in the business, I bought into it. Me too. You ask anyone in my team and they'll tell you, everybody in my team, they, you know, and particularly the leaders, we were all wearing $8,000 bespoke suits with $1,500 ties and, you know, $5,000 shoes. And, you know, because that was the, the thing then. And it was only, it's like I told him, you know, and I wore, so I started kind of going without a tie. And then I was wearing earrings and guys just didn't wear earrings in the United States, especially and being on stage. And I, you know, my response was, and you know, I like the company would come to me and say, well, you know, you're speaking at the event and you're wearing these earrings and, you know, and I said, listen, let me explain how this works. When you're poor and you're a guy on stage wearing earrings, you're just gay. Okay, <laughs> when you make $125,000 a month, like I do, and you wear earrings, then you're an eccentric genius. <laughs> yeah. This is how it works. You, I paid the dues to get to the point I'm at, and I'm going to embrace who I am. And I, the people who say, but you know, here's an example. I'm traveling somewhere, I'm at an event and I get a frantic email from my new team in Indonesia after this aforementioned meeting. It's now a couple months later, I've got like 500 people on the team in Indonesia. I get a message from them, from the my my uh, top guy there in Medan, I think is the city. He says, listen, we have a huge problem. The company just sent out a newsletter, an email, and they showed the CEO giving a $5,000 check in Israel to a charity. And um, the team needs the company to apologize for giving money to Jews and going to Israel. Um, and they're all going to quit. So I need to know what do I tell them? So I wrote back and I said, I was actually on that trip in, in Israel. That was the work of our foundation that we do. And that money went to kids in Israel. And I personally gave some more money myself. And please let everybody in the team know if they are that prejudiced, um, they shouldn't be on my team. Just send in their resignations. And I'm happy with it because I don't want 
anybody in my team with that kind of hateful prejudice. And he took that back to the group and they all decided, you know what? That was probably a good thing the company gave the money to those kids. <laughs> and they all stayed. <laughs> but how many people would have caved in that situation? Say, oh my God, I got a new line. There's hundreds of people there. I don't want to lose that. No, you know, there's some things, there's lines you don't cross. And that kind of shit, I don't need that in my organization anywhere. If the Jews got a problem with the Muslims, the Muslims got a problem with the Jews. You know, I, I'm openly gay. I have many fundamentalist people in my teams, and some of them may have issues with it, um, but that's who I am. I'm not going to lie and become try to be someone I'm not. Um, and the truth is, I don't know what I, I, I have just like, oh, it's like there has to be a God because God has a sense of humor because mm -hmm. Almost every client I have is a fundamentalist religious person. Like they're either a devout Muslim or they're a Bible thumping Christian evangelical, whatever. And they tell Randy, we're praying for you and we know you're going to be healed. But I've built a body of work and demonstrated my value that they say, we got to bring this guy in to work with our company and even, you know, and even, you know, so I'm having lunch with the CEO early on, early in my career, one of the very first, probably second or third company, fourth company I've ever consulted with. We're having lunch, me and the CEO, we've got the convention kicking off that night. And he says, so do you have a girlfriend? Does she ever travel with you? Am I ever going to meet her? Do you ever bring her like to speeches? And I said, um, well, I, I don't have a girlfriend, but I have a boyfriend. And sometimes he comes to speeches, so you might meet him. <laughs> and he was like, you're kidding, right? I'm like, no, I'm not kidding. You're, you're not kidding. No. And then he just looked <laughs> down at his plate and he just ate his food and he couldn't say another word. And he went up to the room and he called the vice president. And he said, I just had lunch with Randy. He's gay. What do we do? And she's like, you didn't know Randy was gay? <laughs> you knew? Yeah. And she's like, of course I knew. How clueless are you? He had been molested by a scoutmaster when he was young. So he was very homophobic. So he was very, right? So then they, so we got to have a three-way call between him, the vice president and me, and figure out how to handle this situation so he says what are we going to do if the leaders find out that you're a homosexual and i said you mean like uh ann and david yeah and billy and i forgot her his wife's name and, and there were there were two brothers uh dennis and his brother i said you mean like if they find out he said yeah i said they already, they all know that I'm friends with all those people. You know, they've been, you know, we've been, they've been to dinner with my boyfriend. And he was like, they know this they, because he just thought if people learned that they would quit because that yeah, was yeah. the belief 
in that time. And there's still people who believe that. I mean, the, you know, I have promoters who, you know, I have two books that were bestsellers in Iran. All right. The biggest one was the number one selling book in Farsi in Iran. So I get these promoters who call me up and say, well, you have to bring you. Look at my Instagram account. I have 70,000 people in there who are posting in Farsi. I have a mm. huge because Twitter and Facebook are banned in Iran. So they but they didn't ban Instagram. So I have all these followers on Instagram. Right. So I get these promoters. You got to come to Iran. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to Iran. Because in Iran, there is a government who would put me in prison and people who would throw me off a rooftop. That's just the reality. And this is 2023. There are people who would throw me off a rooftop because of my sexuality. There are Imagine people who that. will throw you off of a rooftop because of your religion. There are people who will throw you off a rooftop because of your ethnicity. That's a reality of the world. But you know, I don't want that in my team. My team is a team of inclusion and acceptance. And I have all faiths, all religions, all ethnicities. And, you know, like I say, so how many of my friends now are devout Mormons? A lot. Do you know, I'm, I do business, my two different business ventures I'm in right now are Jewish people. All my clients were fundamentalist Christian. You know what? We all get along amazing because we look past that stuff. And I think that's one of the gifts of our profession is that we, you know, we bring that kind of inclusivity into the, into the mix. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that about that profession. Well, a profession is filled with people. So you're going to have a lot of different people. You know that maybe are some, have some kind of prejudice about religion or sexuality, you know, or you know, or or even are very um, how do you say the, the machismo um, macho. Yeah, but I mean that you you mean probably misogynistic. Yeah, like 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 a guy that wouldn't let her uh, her wife be the network marketing company because he wouldn't accept that she, the woman, was going to bring money to the table and make him yeah, look like yeah, an we idiot. We would call that misogynistic or sexist, either one. Uh, misogynistic, yeah. yeah. And that's a, there's a lot of that in Latin America, not Argentina, Uruguay, or Chile. But the others are very like that. And I've worked with a lot of companies consulting, which are just for women, like, like Natura, for example. And uh, it's very hard for them in, in places like Mexico to to bring money to the table yeah. and not you know not um make their husband feel you know less yeah. you know because they belong to the kitchen or or something. That's how we do. And uh, hey, I got to flee. I hear the door knocking one of my daughters trying to sneak in right now trying to get a hold of me <laughs> doesn't she know we just started we have another 11 things on the list <laughs> we've been barely going what three four hours only <laughs> <laughs> all right i and i would be i'm ready for a break anyway so let's wrap this up and we you know what let's do another one sometime because yeah. there are a lot of things we could do. 
And he just, first of all, um, I most all of your work is in Spanish. Um, but for people who speak Spanish, let them know where to find you or anything you have in English that English speaking people, where, where do they find you? Um, well, in Spanish, they can find me, find me in any platform, social media platform. Just type in Eric with a CK Gamio and uh, you'll, they'll find me if they look there, I'm going to be there. And in English, I guess the only thing I have is my presence in, um, in the mastermind. So, and I'm thinking of going to Turkey to the yeah um yeah so that's, I saw that that's yeah. mastermindevent.com .com. They, they have a um a program you join and they have an archive of material and Eric yeah. is in that archive exactly so they can find me there and I'm, I was so happy to be here I've, we've been here almost three hours and it felt like three minutes um it's amazing we've, we've talked about uh, we haven't talked about, talked like face to face for a long time because yeah. every time I go to Miami you are somewhere else in the world you know speaking being being not shy in a stage <laughs> <laughs> all right well first of all just thank you thank you thank you for this conversation and the wisdom insights knowledge you shared any last thoughts you want to say to the people around the universe um go listen to Billie Eilish right now and uh the only thing is not to sound cliche you know but is um lend your ears to this kind of conversations i learned this new word this eavesdropping eavesdrop you know in these kind of conversations open mic conversations we we can talk about a lot of stuff but always always question everything no, we are not owners of the truth. We are just owners of our opinions and experiences and just use it as a, as a trampoline to gain your own perspective of whatever we've been talking in here. Amen to that. You guys watching, subscribe to the channel, hit the like button and go down in the comments and tell us what you think and give us your questions for the next time when I'm getting it together, chopping it up with dot, 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 Eric Gamio. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening. Please rate and subscribe.